Thank you for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today, Brandon Williams shares part two of the series, Indicator. In this message, Brandon looks at the condition of our heart in regards of serving in the local church. He points out that our works alone will never be what saves us, but only faith and works working together in complete harmony. This message is not meant to rebuke, but to encourage, as God does not want something from us, but something for us. What's up, church? How's everybody doing? Everybody good? Woo! Excited to be here? You look excited. How many of you just got off spring break? Yeah, you just had spring break. Put your hands up. Put your hands up. How many of you didn't? Put your hands up. I'm a little bitter about that. I don't know about y'all. I'm a little bitter. Um, didn't get a spring break, but hey, you know, it's, it's all good. Um, anyway, glad y'all are here. You're going to have a good time today. Um, and, and looking forward to continuing this series called Indicator, where we're looking at things that God has shown us in Scripture that are indicators of where we stand, where our heart is. Um, so we're going to jump into that. Before we do, I do want to remind you of a couple of things just one more time. Make sure you hear this. March 26, 630, right here, we're going to have one of our vision dinners. If you want to know more about the church, sign up for that. Come to it. Uh, we're going to feed you. We are going to, going to tell you about where this church is going, what God's given us to do, and it'll give you a great opportunity to meet some people. So come have, have, uh, have some dinner with us eat with us. We'll probably serve you some grilled chicken. It'll be good. You'll want to be here for that. And then we're going to tell you all about the church. Be done by eight. You can get in, get out, and you can go home and uh, go to bed. All right. Um, Second thing is this. We're, we're for the next 28 days, we are elevating. We're elevating every aspect of the ministry, children's ministry, our serving opportunities, our giving opportunities. Everything is going to another level for one purpose so that we can elevate Jesus. Because what does the Bible say about when we elevate Christ? He draws men to himself, right? So we want to elevate Jesus so that, pe- that people can be- begin to come. We're all, all going to, uh, I don't know why I'm stuttering so much today, bear with me. Um, we are going to have an opportunity on April 17th. We're going to start meeting uh, at Statesboro High School at the auditorium. If you've ever been in there, it's absolutely incredible. We're going to have something we have not had in a long, long time, and that is space at 1045 so that you can invite people who are far from God so that they can hear the word of God and so that they can come to know Christ. And uh, I'm pumped about it. That's going to be awesome, right? And here's the cool thing. We're going to have all kinds of uh, opportunities for you to get involved and serve. Um, The offering on April 3rd is a chance to to give towards this, an opportunity for you to sink your teeth into this this, uh, move we're making to transition. Also, we felt like the Lord spoke to our hearts with everything going on in Japan. We're giving portions of that to Japan through a a ministry called Churches Helping Churches, um, where they take the money. 100% of everything we give them will go straight to churches in Japan who it will actually help them to rebuild their lives but also reach out to people um, who have been devastated. So what I've prayed about, what I feel the Lord has led me to do is us to give 15% of everything we take in. And listen, in a transition like this, we, we could use every penny, but we want to be obedient to the Lord and make sure that we reach out to our brothers and sisters that are across the world. So um, just pray about what God would have you to give. Serving opportunities are coming like crazy. The next three Sundays, everybody listen, some of y'all are asleep already. The next three Sundays... We're going to have tables set up all around the church with some of our current connectors, which are the people who serve here. They will be out at those tables so you can go around and find a place that you would like to serve, okay? Also today, you received a uh, survey, the little blue survey. It says connector on the front. Fill that thing out. If you want to serve, listen, we do not want your reason for not serving to be because we didn't give you opportunity or you didn't know how to get involved, okay? So we want to make that as easy as we can for you. Fill that thing out. Leave it in your seat. Drop it by guest services. Whatever, we'll pick it up and we'll get you involved, all right? So I'm pumped. It's going to be awesome. I believe we're going to see people coming to Christ like crazy. I believe that God wants to impact our community and change people's lives and change people's hearts, set them free. Amen. Everybody excited about that? Pumped up? Yep. It's going to be awesome. And so we're looking forward to that coming up April 17th. 
I want you to turn, if you will, in your Bibles to James chapter 2. We're going to be in, begin in verse 14. This whole indicator series is looking at um, different things that the Bible tells us, and the, and the rest of these are going to be coming out of the book of James. We'll start in James, end up in other places. But we're looking at things that the Bible gives us that give us an indication of the condition of our heart, right? Aren't you glad that God gives you an indicator, sort of like the light on your dashboard, when the engine light comes on, you know I need to get this to somebody that can fix my car, right? Before the engine blows up completely, usually you will get some kind of indication. Aren't you glad that God gives us an indicator through his word when things aren't right so that we can get them right before our life blows up? Right? I mean, that awesome. Isn't it good of God? He could just be sitting up there like eating popcorn going, I know it's going to be any time now. <laughs> Boom! You know? But he gives us indicators. Today, this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how we serve. How we serve. Y'all are excited, aren't you? How we serve is a great indicator of our heart. It's a great indicator of our lives. And I told you last week, and I still stand by this, this is probably the most challenging series we've ever done. I feel like God has put us in boot camp, getting us ready to go into battle. I feel like God is, is elevating us right now. And so here's the deal, guys. I believe that God is putting us through spiritual training to get us ready for the next step that God's going to take us through. Amen. You know, at boot camp, I, from what I hear, I never went. But from what I hear, it's not real easy. It's not a lot of fun from what I don't think people wake up in the morning and go, Woohoo! I get to run five miles today. With a backpack on. Man, this series, man, it, it's going to be challenging, right? And so we're going to be in James chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 14. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump in. Father, I'm, I'm just thankful for the opportunity to share your word. I'm, I'm thankful, God, for the opportunity to be a part of your body, to be a part of, of, of other believers, God, who are going to lock arm in arm to go and punch the devil in the teeth. I'm just thankful, God, for the, the power of the Holy Spirit that will enable us. I'm thankful for the hearts and the lives, God, that are going to be changed, that we can celebrate with you and the angels of heaven the salvations that are going to come. God, what an incredible opportunity stands in front of us. What an incredible opportunity before us, Lord. Lord, speak to our hearts today. Challenge us. I pray that not one of us walks out of here today without feeling like we have been challenged that we have been asked to step up to the plate to do what you've created opportunity for us to do. Lord, just have your way here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you have ever, have ever been in a place where you needed a new perspective in your life? Like you, you've been looking at things in a certain way, and then all of a sudden you realize, if I don't turn my perspective, that it, it's going to be messed up. I realized this the other day. I was running, and... Um, and I realized I have a new perspective about running. I realized when I was younger, I ran so I would look good, right? The other day I was running and I realized now I run just to try to keep my heart beating, right? I mean, it's no longer about how I look. It's like now I just run just so that this thing keeps working in my chest, you know? And because I don't know about you, but I had this little problem called eating, and, and I love to eat. And so I'm like, I got to do something to try to keep my ticker ticking. And, and I realized that used to, like when I ran, I worried about what people thought about how I run. 
Like I would try to run with good form and like straight up and look good while I was running, you know, stomach tucked and sucked in. The other day I was running across 67 trying to make it. I felt like Frogger trying to get across 67 at the red light up here at uh, Herdy Drive. And, and, I was, and I was running and I was trying to get across the, and I was just like, you know what, I don't even care. I mean, I'm just like this. I'm just, you know, dragging my, whatever it took to get across the road. I'm like, I don't even care. There were cars both directions. I don't even care what they think as long as I can get there. And now my goal is I just want to finish. I just, want to, I just want to finish. And so I've had this totally new perspective about working out. You know, now basically I'll, I work out so I can eat. You know, I mean, it's not really about, look, it's about, I just want to eat. I just, I'm going to eat. I need to do something. My heart needs to keep beating. It's important. You know, it, it doesn't go well if your heart stops beating, right? It's not a good thing. And so I, I've realized I've had this new perspective. But you know what? I think the church needs a new perspective. This church needs a new perspective about serving God. I really do. And I believe because of some of our experiences in the past, we, we need to begin to look at things a lot differently. Because sometimes many of us have been in situations where we served programs that the end goal was not Jesus. It was an agenda. Anybody been there? Y'all been to that church too, haven't you? Anybody? Hey, hey, how about this? How many of you have ever served, served because you were serving a man, and it wasn't Jesus. There's people who've been there too. Well, we served simply because we were serving another man. We weren't serving God. The end goal was not God. The end goal was an agenda. Listen, guys, when you serve here, we're serving for the end goal to be Jesus, period. When we, we don't babysit over here, we do ministry. We don't just try to provide a place for you to get away from your kids. And this is what, like, I'm blown away that people wouldn't want their kids in there because of some of the things we talk about in here, but also that there's ministry that's given over there that is age-appropriate because we don't just provide a place for you to be able to come over here and go, thank God, somebody's got my kids for a little while. We, we love them, man. We, we pour Jesus into them. They will not go in there and not hear about Christ. They will not go in there and not hear about the love of God. We don't do things just to try to provide an opportunity for them to be out of our hair. We don't encourage you to take them over there just because we don't want them in here making... We want them to be ministered to. We want them to know Jesus. Because I don't believe this lie that children have to go all kind of buck wild crazy. I believe they can live for God. I pray it over my kids every night that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit and that every day they would serve the Lord. I don't believe they have to go crazy. I believe they can live their lives serving Jesus. And we need to realize, guys, when we greet at the doors, we're not just standing there just to hand out a pen. You're there to share the love of Jesus. You are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In James, listen to this. In the book of James, it says uh, in verse 14, I want you to hear this because I want to talk to you about how our faith produces service in our life, how our faith produces works in our life. But the one thing, and you've got to listen to this. If you've already zoned out, wake up. Look at me. You've got to understand this. Before I say anything else, if you miss this, you're going to miss the whole point of this message. You can't work your way to heaven. You cannot earn your salvation. 
It is given freely by faith in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and in his atoning sacrifice on the cross. You cannot work your way to heaven. In fact, what happens in our lives is that works begin to work out of our salvation, not that we work our way into salvation. But so many times in church we get those backwards. And my question to you is this, are you working to try to be godly? Are you working because you are godly? We get it all all messed up. We've got to have a new perspective. But listen, I want to tell you three quick things, and then we're going to jump over into the Old Testament. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. But we're going to jump over into the Old Testament in just a moment. But I want to tell you three things real quick that I see in James chapter 2 that I believe we've got to grab hold of. First of all, uh, verses 14 through 17 say this. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. The first thing I want you to understand is that faith without works is useless. Works without faith is useless, right? One cannot exist without the other and be useful, If you have no faith, but you have works, you're dead in your sin. The Bible says you're literally dead. And so many people have spent their lives trying to work their way into God's grace. Grace, by the nature of what it is, is unmerited favor. It is a free gift. You can't earn it. But the awesome part about this is God says, I'll give it to you freely. I'll give it to you freely. Here's the other thing. Faith without works impacts nothing. Doesn't do any good, does it? How many times have you seen people, like they'll come up and be like, man, I really, you know, I, I could use something to eat. I could use some clothes. I could do this. I, I, you know, I, I really, and, and then we go, brother, I, man, listen, I'll pray for you. Listen, we'll be praying for you. And we walk off. Did that make an impact? No, that didn't do anything, did it? It didn't do anything. I was standing out here the other day and a guy came up and I was amazed by, um, by Don. Don has so much compassion for people in need. And this guy comes up and he was like, I need this, I need that, I need this, I need that. And really in my heart, I knew what the guy needed was to get off drugs. I knew that's what he needed. And so like my mind is, let's get this guy somewhere where he can actually deal with his problem. Don's like, listen, I got some clothes at home. I'll go get them for you. Man, how easy it would have been to just say, hey, brother, man, listen, we're busy, and I'm going to pray for you. But listen, faith without works is useless. Works without faith is useless. Listen to what it says on down. Verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Listen, faith can't exist without service. Faith can't exist without service. How can you show somebody something that doesn't exist, that's not tangible? You can't. That'd be like me saying, hey, um, come outside and let me show you my leprechaun and my unicorn. Let's go check that. It's, it's out back. I can't show you. It's, it doesn't exist. But here's the deal, and this is something that, that we need to realize and that I think the Christian church in America has tried to skate by, is that if you believe in Christ, it's going to produce works in your life. It is going to produce service in your life. Listen, you can't come to Christ and then not care about the people he cares about. If the Bible is true and he gives us a new heart and a new spirit that's bent towards him, don't you think that heart and that spirit is going to begin to care about other people? 
Yeah. And we try to escape by the fact that, listen, oh, it's just by faith. But you know what? Faith produces works. But we love to come in and sit down and be so comfortable, don't we? We love to come in and eat. We love to come in and be fed. But do we really do anything with it? You know what happens if all you ever do is eat and you never exercise? You get fat and lazy. Welcome to the American church. Welcome to the American. And listen, if you're, if you're a guest here, I'm sorry. Please come back. Please come back. Because, listen, here's the deal with me. I want you to understand something. I care too much about what God is doing. I care too much about you. I care too much about the gospel to not tell you the truth. I care too much about what you're going to become in God and in Christ to not lay it out there very plainly. Listen, this church doesn't want something from you. We want something for you. And part of that is serving so that you can become everything that God created you to do. That's what we want for you. That is our heart. If you've been around a little while, I hope you've seen that. It's not about what we can get. It's about what you can become. We want to equip you. We want to see you become all that Christ wants you to become. But we've got to realize, man, that faith is going to produce service. This is verse 22. We'll read on from 20, actually. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions, listen to this, you see that his faith and his actions were working together. And listen to this, and his faith was made complete by what he did. This is the thing we miss about serving. It is the greatest opportunity. One reason is because you are serving the God who saved you from hell. That's a pretty good opportunity, right? But the other is this. It gives you an opportunity to become complete in your faith. It gives you an It is part of your discipleship. In fact, in our church, our serving and our, our connectors fall under our discipleship pastor. Because we believe it's so much a part of you growing into the person that you were called to be. It completes our faith. In other words, it helps you become everything God desired for you to be. So if all we're ever doing is walking into the church and putting our big booty in a seat, we're never going to become what God desires for us to become. We've got to get in the game. We've got to begin to serve. We've got to begin to take opportunity that God's placed in front of us. Now listen to this. This is, this is fun. This is the fun part. Listen to this. Let's keep on reading. He said, Abraham was considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Listen to this. This is crazy. This is awesome. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteousness for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. In the same way, Rahab the prostitute was made righteous. She was a prostitute. And she was made righteous. Listen, 
Abraham and Rahab. Abraham is the patriarch of our faith, right? You remember that? It kind of all started with Abraham. God established a relationship with Abraham that came all the way to us. In the Old Testament, you'll follow this line from Abraham all the way to Jesus. And he's in the lineage of Christ. Rahab was a prostitute. Do you think maybe they were on opposite ends of the spectrum? The patriarch of our faith and a prostitute. Think about it. Think about that. And yet here we are. We see that both of them are in the lineage of Christ. Is that not crazy? That Jesus had a prostitute in his lineage? In his family tree? Well, don't you want to know if a prostitute got into Jesus' family tree, into his lineage? Don't you want to know how? I mean, that just kind of intrigues me. When I read that, I'm like, I would really like to know how Rahab, the prostitute, you know, the town hoe, how, how does she get into? How did she get into Jesus' lineage? How did that happen? Because we all know this, and, and you know good and well, you know this. There are people in our family tree that we wish weren't there, aren't there? Y'all think about it. Everybody's got crazy Uncle Eddie, don't they? The guy that gave you the Old Spice cologne, like collector kit every Christmas and the, the sausage sampler. You know what I'm talking about? When you were seven. Every year you just had, like year after year, you had like the, the stack of Old Spice, you know, the whole, the whole assortment of aftershave. I'm like, I'm seven. What am I doing with aftershave? You know? And everybody's got that person. But how in the world did Rahab, how did she end up in Jesus' lineage, in the family tree? How did, how did the righteous one come through her? Well, it was very simple. She decided that she'd serve God. Listen, look over in Joshua chapter 2. This is where we'll finish up today. Joshua chapter 2. We're going to read through this and, and pull out some things that I believe are very important about our faith, and about how that works out in our lives. One of the things um, that I want to tell you real quick, though, is in this chapter, the, the Israelites, the children of God, are getting ready to go into the promised land, land that God had promised them that they would inherit. Okay? It was rightfully that God was about to take them in, and God sends two spies over into the promised land so that they can spy it out, so that they can check it out and see what's going on, see if they can take it, see what's, what's about to happen, and, and, and come back and give Joshua a report. This is where we're picking up. So, so the Israelites are finally ending their 40-year detour, and they're about to get to go into the promised land. Listen to verse 1. It says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two, two spies from Shittim, Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The first thing I want you to understand about this is that God gave Rahab an opportunity to serve the kingdom. What an incredible opportunity. First of all, I don't even know why they went straight to the prostitute's house. I mean, that's like for another discussion, right? But, but they were there, and, and, and God gave them an opportunity Gave her an opportunity to serve him. Isn't that awesome? You know everybody sitting in here this morning. Y'all listen to me. Everybody sitting in here this morning has been given opportunity to serve the king of kings. Everybody has the opportunity to serve the one who died for you to purchase your soul straight from the hand of the devil. He did something for you nobody else could possibly do. He purchased you back from the hand of Satan 
himself. And he's given you opportunity to serve his kingdom. Isn't it cool? What an opportunity for him to show up on Rahab's doorstep and go, it's opportunity knocking. Come on, open the door. Here's your chance. Here's your opportunity. And he's given each of us the same opportunity. You know what's happened? God, if you're a Christian, it's because Jesus knocked on the door of your heart and you opened it. He gave you opportunity. If he had not given you opportunity, you couldn't know him. But he's given you opportunity. How blatantly arrogant for him to give us that opportunity and for us to stick up our middle finger and say, no, God, I won't serve you. Because that's what we do. Listen, you can't, you can't come to God and receive the opportunity of his salvation without beginning to care for those that he serves. You can't come to God, have your heart rearranged, your spiritual DNA set in order in a different way and not care about those that God serves. You can't be a Christian and not serve the ones who God serves. You can't. And so we've got to come to a place where we recognize this opportunity to serve God, to do what God's created us to do. Quit sitting back and just eating and, and, and just getting spiritually fat and lazy. Get up and begin to do something. Begin to move. Here's an interesting thing. You know, the Bible talks about Old Testament priests a lot. In fact, if you go read the book of Leviticus, and you'll have to have like 14 cups of regular coffee to read the book of Leviticus. But if you go and read the book of Leviticus, I mean, all throughout it talks about the priest, and it talks about the things that they were to do. But you know the priest's main point in the Old Testament was this, to serve in God's house. To serve in God's house. They took care of the temple. They served in God's house. Let me ask you this question. This is interaction time. What does the New Testament call us? priest he says that we're a royal priesthood so what does that tell us what what should what where should we serve the house of god the house of god listen god has given us opportunity god has given us opportunity to invest in something that is going to last forever He's given us opportunity to invest in something that is eternal you know what in the end if you go and read the book of you know the only two things left this here right now, at the end of time. Christ and his bride. Who's his bride? Us. Don't you want to invest in something that is going to last? Don't you want to put your time and your effort in something that is going to be here from now on? Don't you want to make an impact, a ripple in the water of eternity that continues forever? Then invest in the church. I believe this with all my heart. If I didn't, I wouldn't get up every morning and do what I do. The church is the, the hope. The local church is the hope of the world. It is God's agent to renew the face of the earth. Have we lost our hope? Have we lost our hope in what God can do when, when we come together and make up our minds to serve him? When we get in the house of God. The Bible talks about the church. That when we come together, the body comes together. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Man, what an opportunity to change people's lives. What an opportunity to see their, their lives and their hearts rearranged. Listen to this, verses 2 through 7. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king's coming and, and telling his, his guys, Listen, so the king 
O Jericho, send this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. Jordan. And as soon as the, as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. The second thing I want you to write down is this, that she had decided who she would serve. She decided who she would serve. She had an opportunity. She had a choice. Do I serve the king of Jericho? Or do I serve the king of kings? She had to make a choice. Which kingdom am I going to serve? Which side am I on? Am I for God or am I against him? Am I with him or am I against him? Listen, she ultimately had to decide who's my highest authority. Who is my highest authority? Think about this. How many of you growing up, um, maybe you can relate to this. I always pushed my mom a little further than I pushed my dad. Right? I always knew I can push mom just a little bit further. Why? Because dad hit harder. I mean, straight, straight up honest. I knew if mom finally just like loses it, goes exorcist, head spins around in circles and she beats me, I'm going to survive that. With dad, it was questionable. And here's the truth that I know. I know we didn't have time out when I was growing up. Time out was what you tried to get while the belt was coming off. You were like, time out, dad, time out. He's like, and I'm like, time out, time out. We didn't have time out. We had beat down. It was like WWE beat down. That's what it was. And so I was always willing to push mom just a little bit further. Why? Because dad, when, when dad spoke, he was like, yeah, would people listen? right? There would be people around us when I got in trouble and my dad was about to get me. They'd be going, dang kid, just do what he's telling you to do, man. Come on. We don't want to watch you die. And, and, and so we come to this point where I would recognize my dad was like the ultimate authority. When he spoke, man, I just did what he did. He was the highest authority. If he said son and he caught his jaw to the side and looked at me out of the corner of his eye, I was like, I'm, I'm dead. I'm like, I repent of my sin, my disobedience, because now I'm about to die. But when dad spoke, I did what he said. Why? Because he was my highest authority. Is that how it is with you and God? Is he really your highest authority? Because if he is, he'll do what he says. But here's the cool thing about God. We don't do it out of fear. We do it because he loves us. We do it because he gave his life for us. We no longer serve out of guilt. We serve out of gratitude. Huge difference. Huge difference. Is God your highest authority? Really? Really? Is he really? See, I believe this about the church today. I I don't believe we've got any clue about what lordship really is. I don't think we do. I don't think we truly understand what it is to say, Jesus, you are Lord. And if y'all remember in um, Romans 10, 9, that's kind of an important part of salvation, isn't it? Y'all remember that? It's like if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, then you shall be saved. But is he Lord? Is he Lord? Because when, when you realize that Jesus is Lord, you realize you have a, a master that when he says do this, you do that. When he says go, you go. When he says speak, you speak. When he says serve, which he says all throughout Scripture, you serve. Is he Lord? Is he the ultimate authority in your life? Is he really the ultimate authority 
in your life. It's kind of a crucial part, isn't it? See, I don't believe, I don't believe this once. I don't believe that Jesus died to set up a democracy. I don't believe that Jesus died so you could have a vote. I don't believe Jesus died so that I could tell him what to do. In fact, if you really think about some of the choices you've made in life, do you want to be the one that tells Jesus what to do? I'd much rather have one who is sovereign, who loves me beyond my comprehension, telling me what to do. I'd much rather be in that place. Listen to this. Let's keep going. 8 through 13. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you. Listen, she says, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord has dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sahan and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth. Isn't that just encouraging to hear that he's God of heaven above and on earth? That, that people's hearts, when they try to come against God and when they try to come against you, they melt in fear because of him. That's awesome. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Next thing is this, that she bought into the cause. She bought into the cause of what God was doing. She had heard of all the things that God was doing and she was like, I want to be a part of that. She realized the only way I'm going to find life is if I become a part of what God's doing. The only way I'm going to be saved is if I become a part of what God's doing. I've got to be a part of what God's doing. She bought into the cause because she'd seen what God had already done. You ever seen somebody that's just bought into something? They're almost obnoxious, aren't they? They're almost obnoxious. Like you ever seen somebody who's bought it and, and, and you see them coming and you're just like, oh gosh, here they come again. Like trying to sell you something. How many of y'all got a baseball hat, like, for your favorite team or a jersey? Or, I mean, I got one. It's not like I'm going to call you out and be like, you shouldn't have that. You're just an idol. And I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, how many, I mean, seriously, like, you got, nobody's got a hat. Okay, I got a hat. I got shirts. I love, man, I love uh, the Atlanta Braves. I love the Atlanta Falcons. I, I grew up on, man. And you know, you know you got to be bought in to follow the Braves and the Falcons all these years. Because when I was growing up, they were terrible. They were horrible. In the 80s, man, it was terrible. You had to be bought in. You had to be bought into the cause. And, and the thing I realized is that, man, many of us are bought into the cause of, of the Atlanta Braves, the Georgia Southern Eagles. Man, we are bought in the Georgia Bulldogs. We love them. Man, people, and you, you look at some of the teams people follow, and you're like, why? Why? They hadn't had a winning season in 15 years. But they're still bought in. They're still a part of it. They still, woohoo! And y'all have seen some people who are like that about our church. I've seen some, there's, there's some people that I like just want to give them pom-poms and a little miniskirt because I'm like, they're, they're, they're out there, they're like telling everybody, oh, woohoo, you got to come to church. You're stupid if you don't come to our church. I'm like, that's probably not how we need to say that. That is probably not how we need to tell people or invite them to church is by saying you are stupid if you don't come. And, and then they're, they're bought in. They're bought into the cause. Let me ask you, are you bought into the cause of Christ? Are you bought in? Do you believe in it enough that you'll stick with it, that you'll keep going, that you'll do the things that he's created us to do, given us opportunity to do? Rahab was. 
Rahab knew, I'm bought in. This is what I'm willing to give my life to. You know, the people she had to turn away to keep from getting the spies, most likely the way they knew about the fact that these spies were there is how? They've probably been visiting her. Huh? She had to decide, now I'm going to be about God's business and not my own business. She had to decide, now I'm going to start to serve him. I'm going to leave this behind and I'm going to serve him. Are we at that point? Are we, are we bought in? Are we willing to do what God wants us to do? Listen to me. Are you bought into this church? Are you bought into the vision of what God's doing here? Are you really? Are you here heart and soul? If you've been coming for a couple of weeks or a couple of months and you're still like, I don't know what I want. Listen, I understand that. But there are too many people who've been sitting and eating and not contributing. Do you really want to consume all your life or do you want to contribute? Do you want to consume or do you want to contribute? And here's my question. If you've been coming for a while, I'm just going to be point blank honest, and you're not bought in, why are you here? I'm just saying. I mean... Go somewhere where you can get bought in so that you can get plugged in so that you can begin to serve in God's house so that at that point you can become all that God created you to do. Remember, we don't want something from you. We want something for you. And if that for you is somewhere else, man, bless you. Because the ultimate goal is not just building our kingdom. It's about people becoming all they can be for God's kingdom so that God's kingdom grows. That's what it's about. Are you bought in? Are you ready? Are you ready to go? Are you, are you willing? Listen to this. In, in Matthew 9, um, there's a story. It's really cool. Uh, where, where Jesus goes into this house, and there's this, this little girl who's died. And they're like, Jesus, it's too late. And he's like, y'all just get out of here. Don't you? You ever just want to tell the naysayers, just get out of my face? You know what I'm saying? It's like, we're going to do this. Well, you can't do that. Shut up! You know, or you, well, we're, we're going to see this many people come to Christ. No, you're not. It's never going to. Man, just get out of me. You're like a plague. Get away from me. You ever just want to tell people? That's what Jesus did in that story in Matthew chapter 9. He's like, y'all just, y'all get, y'all leave. Just leave. And he goes in and he takes this little girl's hand and he picks her up and she comes back to life. That's pretty awesome. How many of y'all like to do that? I mean, how many, it would be awesome, wouldn't it? Funeral homes would hate you. Like every time they get ready to do a funeral, you just walk in, you're like, and just walk out. And they're like, what, what, what? all of them go out of it. That would be pretty awesome. That'd be pretty intense, right? Raising people. For, I mean, that'd be pretty cool. Let me ask you this. Would it be better to take the little girl by the hand and raise her up or be outside the door looking through a crack in the door and watching him raise her up? Which one would you rather do? I want to grab her hand. I want to feel the blood start moving back through her body. I want to be able to feel her heart start beating. I want to be able to see the the color come back to her face. Would you rather watch a miracle or be a part of a miracle? Would you rather watch a miracle or be the miracle? Which one would you rather do? Because as long as we're sitting back and watching, we never get to experience being the miracle for somebody else. It's our opportunity. And you know, when you talk about people coming back from the dead, you know what the Bible says about those of us who aren't in Christ? 
we're dead. Spiritually, we are dead. Dead. But you know what it says happens when we come to faith in Jesus? The same resurrection power that raised him from the dead comes into our lives, renews our heart, gives us his righteousness, and we come to life. Do you realize you get to be a part of people going from death to life? That, it, that is incredible. What an opportunity that God has given us. And yet so many times we just look opportunity in the face and just turn our backs. I want to do something real quick. If you're already a connector here, you're already serving. I want you to stand up. Stand up. You're already serving some way. I think we need to give them a hand. Don't you? Don't you think so? Listen to me. Now, y'all stand up. Stand up. Y'all ain't done yet. Y'all stand up. Simon didn't say sit. Listen to me, guys. I want all of y'all to look at me. You are valuable beyond belief. I want you to know something. In the last 30 days, 15 people's eternity was altered because of you. 15 people's lives were changed because you smiled at the door, because you were willing to go into children's ministry and pour your love into somebody's heart. Don't ever let the devil tell you that what you do is not valuable. It is immensely valuable. It is eternally valuable. And you've got to understand that. You've got to realize that you're not just a greeter. You're not just an usher. You don't just play guitar. You don't just play drums. You don't just organize greeters. That you are connecting people to God and people to each other. People who are far from God. How many people walk through the doors of this church and the first comment they make is, I felt God when I drove on the parking lot. How many people walk through the doors of the church and they go, you know the reason that I like it? I don't even like church, but I just felt welcome here. You know why that is? It's not because of my heartfelt messages. It's because of you. It's because of you and what you do and the love of God that you pour out into people's lives. And I'm eternally grateful, and so are probably over, gosh, over 60 or so people in the last two years because of what you're doing. Don't ever let anybody tell you that what you're doing doesn't matter and that it doesn't have value. Now listen to me. If you're still sitting, what you waiting on? What are you waiting on? God has given you opportunity to impact people for eternity. Get involved. Become all that God created you to be. This isn't like a rebuke. This is an encouragement. I want you to understand that we want to see you become all that God created you to be. That is what we want for you. And that is what can happen when you step up and step into the things that God... You know, some of you are, have been, been struggling with things for so, so long, and you know how that's going to be remedied? You know when that's going to get taken care of? When you start pouring into other people. You've been hurt, wounded, and all these things. And when you're going to become whole is exactly what the Bible says. Your faith is going to become complete when you begin to pour into other people. Amen? Let's give them another hand. Thank you guys for all that you do. Let's keep going. We've got we to gotta go faster. Y'all got to listen faster. 14 through 16. It says, Our lives are for your lives. The men assured her. 
If you don't tell what we're doing, we'll treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. Verse 15, so she let them down by a rope through the window. For the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she, now she had said, I still can't read. Well, some, anybody in here that can teach me how to read? I, I don't know why I can't read. I mean, maybe my eyes are bad. Maybe I need a new perspective on how to read. Now she had said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. The men said to her, this oath will, you made with us, swear, you, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brother and all your family into the house. Listen to this. It says our lives for your life. Our lives for your lives. At some point in our lives, we have to realize that we were created, we were saved. Our salvation is to save other people. She realized, Rahab realized, I've been saved so that I can save others. They spared my life. I'm going to spare theirs. The spies realized she spared our lives. We're going to spare hers. You know, one thing that drives me crazy with my kids is just selfishness. Like with my eight-year-old, my four-year-old, it's always something. I want to lay on the couch. I want the blanket. I want this. I want that. And pretty soon it's like head spinning around. You're like, well, and you're just like, I'm going to beat both of you. You know, and it just, and the selfishness just drives you crazy. But you know what? And there's no excuse for that. But you know what? They're eight and four. I'm 35. How old are you? 52. Thank you, Alan. <laughs> 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45. Sounds like an auctioneer. 68. 68. Well, here's the point. Thank you. Thank you. Here's the point. Shouldn't we have outgrown that by now? I think we're all old enough in here to realize our lives were saved to save others. When are we going to begin to do that? When are we going to realize that? Begin to do what God created us to do. Verses 17 through 22 say this. The men said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If anyone goes outside your house into the street... His blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible for As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on your head. If a hand is laid on him, if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed. And listen, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. You know what she had to do? She had to take responsibility. She had to take responsibility. You know, for us, God has promised us blessing. He has promised us wholeness. But as long as we neglect our responsibility to serve, we can't be made whole. We've got to take responsibility for our own actions. And please don't do this. Please don't tell us you're going to take responsibility and you're going to be a connector and you're going to serve and then don't show up. Because then... Then you're telling us you're going to do something that you don't do 
And what's that make you? A liar. Don't do that. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Step up. Take responsibility. Step up. Take responsibility for the opportunity that God's given you. Step into what God's called you to do. That you could be everything that God created you to be. That you could become whole and do all he's created you to do. Listen, the next three weeks are going to be incredible opportunities, but we're giving you an opportunity today. There's a survey that you got handed. All you got to do, if you, if you feel like I want to serve in this church, I want to step into what God... Fill that out. We're going to contact you. We're going to, we're going to get you information. We're going to equip you April 16th before the big service on the 17th. We're going to have an orientation at Statesboro High School. You're going to get to go through and see every aspect of what this church is going to be doing. You're going to get to come and walk through it. But take responsibility. Take the opportunity. Listen to me. God has given everybody some kind of gift that they can share. It doesn't take a whole lot to stand at the door and just smile. Right? And isn't it cool that that small offering to God can be the very thing that he uses to change somebody's life? Isn't that awesome? It was like we got married. We took so many pictures. I just, I was stuck like this for six months. I was like, it was crazy. We took so many, why are you so happy about it? My face is stuck. But seriously, it's an opportunity. We, we've all got something to give. Do you guys remember in Matthew when, um, when, when Jesus told this parable? He said, listen, a master was going away, and he said, I gave five, five talents to one. I gave three to another, and I gave one to another. And he said that while they were gone, the two that had uh, five and three went, and they invested them. When the master came back, there was an there was um, actual return on the investment, right? You remember what happened with the one? He buried it, didn't he? He buried the gift that the master had given him. You remember what he called the first two? Good and faithful servant. You remember what he called the last one? Wicked and lazy. God has entrusted us with a gift. God has entrusted us with his son. God has entrusted us with his most treasured property, his people. Are we going to bury them in the ground? Are we going to do the things that we need to do at any cost to reach people who are far from God? Seriously, which one's it going to be? Last thing. If you go over into uh, chapter 6, there's one other paragraph about Rahab. And what it says is when they went in, they did exactly what they were supposed to do. They went, they saw the scarlet cord. They went in, got Rahab, rescued her and her whole family, and brought them out. Rescued her. You know God's always going to do what he tells you he's going to do? How bad would it have been if they were like, whatever, and just killed them all? God did. They did what they promised. God is always going to do what he promises. I thought about this. When she's walking away from that city, the Bible says that Jericho was in ruins, and it was burning. Burning. Can you imagine the feeling that she must have felt as she backed away from Jericho and watched it burn knowing I should have been in the flames? She didn't do anything to earn that salvation, did she? She just made up her mind, I'm going to serve God. She didn't do anything that warranted those spies not killing her. 
All she did was said, I'm going to serve God. And if that means hiding the spies and risking my life, that's what I'm going to do. She didn't do anything that, that, that made her qualified. The one who qualified her was God and it was done through faith. Can you imagine what she must have felt as she watched that city burn and she's looking at it going, I should have been in the flames. The Bible says she went and she lived with the Israelites and she was with them from now on. You know what? She realized. How much gratitude did she have that she wasn't in the flames? Here's the cool thing about God. God's not only saved you from the flames through Jesus Christ, but he's given you the opportunity to save others. How cool is that? That God would send us into a foreign land that God would send us into this community, a foreign land, so that we could rescue others. You know, her act of faith, her act of service, according to the Scripture, gave hope to an entire nation. Her act of faith and her act of service saved her entire family. Isn't that awesome? Mom and Dad, it's your faith and your service Is it permeating your family? If we asked our family, what's my number one priority? Would would they say Jesus? Is our faith such and our, our, our ability to serve and our willingness to serve such that God could use it to impact an entire community, to change an entire community, to bring hope to an entire community? Is it? Because I believe this, God wants to use you to bring people from the flames. God wants to use you, the gifts he's given you, to reach people for his kingdom. He has placed value on your life. So much value, in fact, that he gave up his only son to die on a cross. That's a lot of value. I can tell you if it came down between you or my son... See ya. But he sent his son because he values you that much and he has entrusted you with his greatest treasure, his people. What are we going to do with that? Let's stand up and pray.